The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Outstanding job today, as every Sunday, you guys, thanks so very much, musicians. <clears throat> Those who plan the service, you know, hang on just a second. It's not just a matter of that they provide the music, they also plan. And uh, that's a lot of work, for which I'm very, very grateful. Isaiah 62, let me uh, take us back last week, a new preaching series, Watchmen on the Wall, from Isaiah. Uh, the watchman's work is prayer. Prayer can be discouraging. So today's sermon is the watchman's hope. And uh, just to set maybe back in order, let me read Isaiah 62 and beginning with verse number 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his strong arm, I will never again give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will foreigners drink your new wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who Gather it, will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates. Clear the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Lift up a standard over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him, and they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought out, a city not forsaken, the word of the Lord. Now, Father, I pray that uh, you would certainly search us and know us and try us, know the grounding of our heart, and if there's any wicked way that you set us in the path that's everlasting, disinterest or a lack of concern over one's soul or distractions. Set us in the way that is everlasting, in the way of your word. And Spirit of God, we are wholly dependent on you then to do the work of grace that we have been so joyfully singing about already this morning. For we still sing of your steadfast love, of your great faithfulness, and our souls can be stilled, knowing that you are a God who hears and answers our prayer. Through Jesus, our Savior, we pray, amen. For watchmen on the wall, of which all of the people of Jesus, all those who are truly Christians, have been appointed by God to be on the wall, for all watchmen, and here's my big idea for today's sermon Fresh hope will be needed. Fresh hope. 
Fresh hope is found in a relentless insistence on God's presence in the midst of great darkness. Fresh hope is found in a relentless insistence on God's presence in the midst of great darkness. Most of us, I think, would agree that as the long winter uh, is winding down, we uh, could do with some fresh hope. The signs of spring. Spring may come slowly, but we know that it is coming. Rhonda had to endure her first of many Major League Baseball games just a few days ago in spring training in Mesa, Arizona, which is the only place you should be concerned about for spring training, the Chicago Cubs. Sorry, Julian. I know that's not where Pittsburgh is. but And, and Ken Prater predicted this morning to a group of friends that the Cubs will win the World Series this year. So all of you Yankee fans or Met fans or Red Sox fans, sorry, you're out. Signs of spring, spring training, light, warmth, flowers, budding trees, singing birds. And when these things begin to appear, hope rises up within us. Our hearts, our minds look at those things as, as signs of greater things that are coming. And in this way, we who are in Jesus Christ are like watchmen on the wall, looking out at the natural world for all of these wonderful signs that our hearts are lifted up. And, and that lesson that applies for us, because we need signs of hope in the midst of great darkness, which is why Isaiah, in writing to God's people who were in the midst of great darkness, relentlessly insist that God is still in their midst, that God is still with them. It does appear, if you were to read all 66 chapters of Isaiah, I mean, it would appear that Israel has no hope. But God is in their midst. And we want to state with firmness that Israel, although uh, heading into captivity, they were not lost. And this is what Isaiah preaches, and particularly in uh, verses 8, uh, 9, and 10, uh, and then on into 11 and 12, when two phrases kind of jump off the page because they tell us that God is the one who is going to take the initiative to deliver his people. In verse number 8, the Lord has sworn by his right arm and by uh, his or excuse me, by his right hand and by his strong arm. God makes a promise. I know down at St. James, there's a couple of long-suffering jet fans. And I knew that immediately upon saying that, they would think of Joe Namath, now so many decades ago, who does what? He says, he makes a promise, we will win the Super Bowl. And they did, and that was it, right? And, I, you know... When you make a promise, you better be ready to deliver it. When you make a promise, you better have a, you better have a right hand and you'd better have a strong arm in order for your promise to be made true. And so this, this 
this thing that God does in taking the initiative to deliver his people who appear to be completely hopelessly lost is found in what he swears to do by his right hand and his mighty arm. And then in verse number 11, that God was not content just to tell his people that, but he, indeed he's going to tell the whole world. The entire world is going to know that God is going to deliver his people. And what a, what a God we have who is willing to put himself out there in such a way to take a group of people who appear completely abandoned and say, no, I'm in the midst of that people and by my right hand and by my strong right arm, I'm going to deliver them and I want the world to know this. And we can find great encouragement then in these two God-centered actions. That God, through his sheer might and power, delivers his people. And when he delivers them, the deliverance is focused then on their blessing, on what benefits them and what is going to help them. He, he, he tells them right there in verse number 8 and 9, you know, all that work you do in growing food, that these neighboring hoarding bands come in and raid your country and they destroy your crops or they take your crops and they leave you hungry, that's not going to happen anymore. And the threat of the Assyrians, the threat of the Babylonians at your borders, they're not going to come in and they're not going to destroy that which for which you've labored. In fact, they're not only going to destroy it, but when you garner it and eat it and when you gather to drink, you're going to do so in the courts of my sanctuary. I will be with you. And then the second God-centered action, this global declaration of God's intentions. That it will be to the ends of the earth that the good news of what God promises to do for Israel will be proclaimed. And the words that God has Isaiah write stir the soul. This past um, week, Tuesday I believe was the 44th anniversary of what is arguably the greatest moment in American sports history when those young men from, you know, colleges uh, play against the Russian national team in the Olympics and the American men's hockey team had lost, you know, like 14 to 2 or something a couple weeks before and here they are against this, these opponents who hadn't lost in years and years and years. And Herb Brooks gives this speech that just elevates these men to believe that there's more in them that, that they even might think is there. And they go out and they win this great victory. We have words from God to the hearts of God's people far greater than any, you know, Newt Rockney or Vince Lombardi or Herb Brooks or whoever might give a speech can give. That is meant to stir your soul just as it was meant to stir the souls of God's people who felt so alone and so abandoned. When God is going to proclaim to the ends of the earth in verse 11, say to the daughter of Zion, lo, your salvation comes. Take note, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord and you will be called sought out, 
a city not forsaken. You know, one of the significant challenges, of course, is to develop a correct view of God. Right? Christians need to have this. People need to have a right view of God, regardless of the darkness that surrounds us. You know, one of the things that I, I want to emphasize, I want to keep emphasizing through this series, is that a correct view of God means that we are operating out of His fullness. Out of His fullness. A relentless insistence on God's presence in the midst of great darkness means that we believe we're not just out there on our own hoping to get by, but it is of the fullness of God set forth in Jesus Christ that we get on the wall as watchmen, do our work in prayer, believing that God is going to bring salvation to his people, to us. Bible commentator that so many are familiar with, uh, Matthew Henry, wrote so many years ago now, we must persevere in our prayers for mercy to the church until mercy comes. That's hard to do, to persevere in prayer for mercy until mercy comes. But the watchmen that God appointed for Israel needed perseverance because the conditions were so bad in Israel. I mean, spiritually and politically and, and certainly, um, you know, among the people, the kingdom which had been so gloriously established in David and Solomon, now divided. All of the ugliness of sin began to break into the lives of the people. You say, well, how bad was it? Well, if you look at chapter number 63, and let me read um, verse number 4 and verse number 5. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. And, and listen to what God says. God says, I looked, and there was no one to help. And I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. I mean, what would it take to astonish God? <laughs> it doesn't take much to astonish us. I'm like, well, I'm not surprised, you know. I've been around the block enough times, that eh, doesn't surprise me a bit. But here is the God of heaven looking down on his people and saying, there's no one to help. Where, where are my people? Where are the watchmen that I appointed I'm astonished, but God isn't, right? God isn't deterred. What does he do? And the verse number five, so my own arm brought me salvation. That's how bad the conditions were in Israel. That they even astonished God. Jeremiah, who of course is a parallel contemporary in writing about the same matters, the same conditions, and we'll put this up on the screen so you can see it, in Jeremiah 5, a wonderful and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And then God asks, implying judgment, well, what are you going to do in the end? 
mean, this is how bad it was in Israel. The prophets were prophesying falsely. The priests were bearing rule by their own means. And the people were like, oh, this is great. Everything is hunky-dory. Life is good. And God's astonished. God's astonished. If Israel needed perseverance, the church will need perseverance. Because the same conditions that existed in Israel exist in our present situation as well. We who by God's grace take our appointment as praying watchmen on the wall will also have to endure what? False prophets, false priests. And people who just love it, love to go somewhere to get entertained and are willing to call that church. As long as you entertain me, as long as you make me feel better, I'm good to go. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people do this every single week. False prophets, ungodly priests, people who love to have false prophets and ungodly priests lead their churches. The true church of Jesus Christ, the church that is willing to say, thus saith the Lord, will need to have perseverance in prayer and in obedience if we are going to endure. Let me illustrate. When it comes to the church in America, in my, you know, um, however long it's been now, 40 years or something in public ministry and 34 here, you know, at Durkee Town, I've, I've heard many disturbing things done in the name of Jesus. But this last week when I heard what had happened on Super Bowl Sunday in Many churches throughout our nation, I think, you know, finally it's reached the top of the list of disturbing things. To entertain the crowds, which is what these pastors said they wanted to do. You know, they gathered on Sunday morning and uh, had a Super Bowl Sunday. Okay, I'm, I'm not a curmudgeon yet, but that's, you know. I mean, they're young, they're hip, you know. But, but what disturbed me is they thought... They thought it would be fun and they thought it would be entertaining on their massive platforms to, uh, to build a goal post and to recreate a field goal kick. Okay, well, I probably wouldn't do that. I probably couldn't kick a football through a field goal. <laughs> We'd have to get somebody younger to do it, but there you go. Only they didn't use a football. In a place where they say they believe in God and Jesus Christ, they literally had somebody snap a Bible to a holder and then the pastor kicked the Bible through the goalpost and the crowds cheered. I mean, I mean, can you imagine? And I thought, well, that's an outlier. That's just some kind of wacko. No, this happened in multiple places. I'm not talking about, you know, the confused you know, heretics, not talking about those who are confused and all of the sexual confusion. I'm talking about people sing some of the same songs we sing, do some of the same things we do, but for the sake of entertaining the crowd, getting the roar of approval of the crowd, take that which men and women have given their lives for and disregard it. I immediately thought of now our two dear friends, Grace Fabian, who gave her life in Papua New Guinea in Bible translation. Her husband, Edmund, who was 
brutally murdered in Papua New Guinea for the sake of Bible translation. How heaven must have wept to see such a thing. You see, in America, it's not only the pervasively evil culture, but it's an increasing church culture that is infantile at best and spiritually destructive at worst. And yet, we still have to read the present day through the lens of Isaiah 62 and 63 and ask ourselves, will we be faithful watchmen on the wall or not? Will we take up the work of prayer or not? Will we persevere by God's grace or not? Will we relentlessly insist on the presence of God in the midst of great darkness or not? Well, my encouragement is to keep looking for the signs that God is bringing renewal. For in the same way that we have these these early signs that spring is coming, we have these signs, these means of grace given to us that point us to the mighty power of God. The right hand and the right arm of God's salvation that came through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we need to ask, what exactly then was the intention of the Holy Spirit when he baptized you into the body of Christ? When you passed from death and into life, when you experienced the new birth, what exactly was the Holy Spirit's intention when he did that in your life if you are a Christian today? And if it was not for us to understand that salvation flows from God in Christ to us so that we don't have to be discouraged, We don't have to run amok to all kinds of ridiculous, silly, nursery kind of stuff to get people interested in the gospel. We have to trust in the power of God who is willing to stand out in front and say, my right hand, my right arm, to the furthest reaches of this globe, salvation is going to come. As we remember our baptism, as we think about Redemption applied to our hearts. We remember that God is mighty to save. And because he is mighty to save, that salvation then empowers us to pray for ourselves. Never give up on praying for yourself, right? Never give up on praying for others. In this room or outside of this room. You know, I was reminded again when I preached this sermon earlier. That, you know, if God can save me. You know, if, if God can save Teresa Hunter, you know, if God can save Elizabeth Vestal, or if God can save Dave Volio, whoever it is in this room, you know, even Angela, if God can save Angela, right? No offense, God can save anybody, right? Is God's hand shortened that he cannot save? Is his ear heavy that it cannot hear? If God can save me, if God can save you, can't he save your neighbor? Can he save that person at work? Can he save that person at school? Can he save one of your relatives that you've been praying for? Yes, he can. So you don't grow discouraged in prayer because we know God's right hand and God's mighty arm saves. And what, what Jesus won in his death by crucifixion for our sins, he guarantees then to us, his church, his people in resurrection. And as we, the people of resurrection, respond to him, 
We come to this table week after week after week, eating and drinking of those things that point us back to the mighty saving acts of God. The body broken, the blood shed. And we come together to this table to eat and drink of his fullness. To eat and drink of his fullness. And so when we pray, when we remember our baptism, when we come to this table, when we hear God's word proclaimed, we know that all of these things flow out of the infinite, eternal fullness of a loving God. And the more then we surrender to the living word of the living God, we're encouraged to pray as Isaiah prayed then at the end of chapter number uh, 63, when he offers up his prayer, 15 of 63, look down from heaven, see your holy and glorious habitation. Where are your zeal and your mighty deeds, the stirring of your heart? Where is your compassion and why are you restrained? For you are our father. Though Abraham doesn't know us and Israel doesn't recognize us, yes, O oh Lord, you are our father and our redeemer from of old is your name. Why do you cause us to stray? Why, why is your heart hardened? Return for the sake of your servants, Lord. You know, very often we will pray something like, Lord, help people to return to you, right? I mean, that's a good thing to pray. But like Isaiah, sometimes we should be compelled to pray, Lord, would you return to us? And that's what Brian said essentially as he introduced the call to worship. That's what Bob and, um, and Charlene read from Genesis and Mark. It is the promise of God coming to us. Lord, return to us. And let us then not have hardened hearts towards you. Well, as we pray with Isaiah, we take our place on the wall as watchmen. Watching with hope in the God who through Jesus Christ has saved. And with Isaiah, we can say it is because God has taken action that we are his holy people. We are the redeemed of the Lord we are those that are sought out. We are a city not abandoned. And this is why the big idea works. Fresh hope is found in a relentless insistence on God's presence in the midst of great darkness. Do you find yourself in great darkness today? Maybe some unexpected issue, some unknown became known. You wonder, does God love me? Does God care about me? Relentlessly insist that God is in the presence of that. Do you need fresh hope today? Do we all need fresh hope today? Right? Maybe you had a, a rough week. Maybe sin has gotten the best of you. Do you not need God's forgiveness to return, to confess, to plead with God for mercy? Maybe you don't know who Jesus is at all. Maybe this is all kind of like sounding strange. 
but it's warming your heart. You're thinking like, hey, wait a second, there might be something there. Keep following. Keep following. And come to know who Jesus is. For he is the right hand and the mighty arm of God. Now, Father, I pray that as we come uh, to your table, we would find this hope. That we would turn to your saving presence and be washed again in the blood of the Lamb. And to know, oh God, with a certainty of your love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We'll be quiet for a few moments as we prepare our hearts to receive the table of the Lord together. And then we'll let the Spirit of God work in your life uh, to apply the sermon. Let's be quiet in prayer. Father, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are indeed faithful, just, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that we come to this table ready to eat and drink of your fullness, Lord Jesus, and to find fresh hope, for you are in our midst. And this we pray in your blessed name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.